Welcome to the Encounter Church Podcast. We believe this message will encourage you as you grow your faith and your relationship with Jesus. Grab your notebook and a pen as we get right into the message. All right. Hey guys, we are on the tail end stretch of an incredible study as we've been processing through the book of James. Has this been a beneficial time for any of you in the house? You see, our goal of this series is not just to get up here and, and, and share a few words, but our goal for this series is that we can truly learn what does it mean to be all in. What does it mean to go from being just a, an average church attendee to an all-in follower of Christ? You see, we were never called by God just to be a church attendee. Do you agree or disagree? We were called by God to be so much more, to be set apart, to be different than the world around us, to make an impact on the world, to share the good news of Jesus Christ with everyone. That's why Jesus died on the cross, is so that we could have forgiveness, but then we could share that forgiveness with somebody else. He didn't die on the cross, truth be told, he didn't die on the cross so that we could just come in here on a Sunday morning. There was a greater purpose a greater reason. So we're taking the time, about 10 weeks, nine weeks, to look at a series on the book of James that we're simply calling All In. That's our challenge for the year. What is it going to take for us to truly go all in with Jesus Christ? As I stated a moment ago, we're on the tail end. we got three weeks left. Today we're wrapping up chapter 3. Next Sunday, we'll look at chapter 4, and then the following week, chapter 5, and we are concluding this series. So I really encourage you, if you haven't already, begin to read the book of James. Begin to process through these incredible words written by Jesus' half-brother, his earthly brother. And James, I shared with you a couple weeks ago, didn't become a follower until after Jesus was resurrected from the dead. Now you say, well, how is that possible? I mean, he grew up with him. Could you imagine growing up with Jesus as your brother? That'd be, that'd be interesting, wouldn't it? You're like, your mom's like, well, why won't you be more like Jesus? I'm like, come on, he's the son of God. You know? But we're trying to learn how do we do that? How do we truly become more and more like Jesus? And James is sharing with us truths, little nuggets of truth that help us to to move beyond where we are where, to where God would have us to be. As I said a few moments ago, this, today's message is a conclusion of what we began last week. Now, some of you may be here and you weren't here last week and you thought, great, is this message even going to make sense? Absolutely, it will. Today's message will make sense for you, but I would encourage you, go back after this service and watch last week's Message. You see, last week we dove headfirst into the evidence of false wisdom. What does it look like to, to grab a hold of false wisdom, worldly wisdom, any wisdom that is opposite of God? But today I want to look at some characteristics of what does it mean for us to really wrap ourselves around and, and personalize this idea of godly Wisdom. Now, why is it important that we personalize it? Because if all we do is learn the information, then we have more knowledge, but we lack the application. 
And can I just tell you, all the knowledge in the world isn't going to do you any good until you apply it. Right? I can memorize the Word of God cover to cover from in the beginning to the amen at the end. I can memorize every single word, but if I don't learn to apply it, it's done me no good. All I have is some great things to quote. So what we're looking at here is personalizing this wisdom that comes from God. Today we're looking at seven characteristics. Now I'm going to encourage you today Take really, really good notes. If you didn't grab the paper copy of the outline this morning, then go on the YouVersion app or go on our church app, either one, and there you'll find the outline for today. Take some really good notes because at the conclusion of each of the seven characteristics, I'm going to ask you to rate yourself, to score yourself from one to ten of how does that particular characteristic line up in your life. You see, there may be some of these characteristics that you say, man, I'm doing pretty good on this one. Man, I'm like an 8 out of 10. And I'll be truthful and say this, I don't think any of us will ever reach a 10 on any of these. But you may say, I'm at an 8, how do I go to a 9? Or maybe you said, man, I'm at a 2 on this one. I'm not really doing very well on here. Well, your goal should not be to get to a 10. Your goal should be to go from 2 to 3. And once you've arrived at three, go from three to four. Are you following me here? Because if you try to go from two to ten overnight, you're just going to get discouraged. You're going to throw in the towel. You're going to give up. But if you'll begin to apply these characteristics to your life and you'll slowly start to implement them into your life, you'll see this shift in your characteristic. You'll see a shift in your behavior and in your action. And you'll move from that 2 to that 3 to 3 to the 4, 4 to the 5, and 5 to the 6, and all the way up the scale. It may take you some time because truth be told, I think I've been told it's 21 days to create a new habit. Some of you have been going along these bad habits for some time now. So take a look at our text today. James chapter 3, verse 17. It says, but the wisdom from above is first of all pure. It is peace-loving, it is gentle at all times, and willing to yield to others. It is full of mercy and good deeds. It shows no favoritism and is always sincere. Now, let me remind you very quickly of a, a couple things we learned last week. The Jewish people, they value this idea of knowledge. But they also understood that you have to have wisdom in order to utilize that knowledge correctly. Truth be told, knowledge on its own is simply the collection of data, but wisdom is the proper application guided by a desired function. Today, you have the opportunity to choose either to partner with and personalize the world's wisdom, false wisdom, or you can partner with God, the one who holds the world in his hands, the one who spoke life into existence, the one who's not limited by time or space. You can partner with God and allow his wisdom to lead you every step of the way. Because truth be told, the two of these are at odds against one another. There's a conflict going on. So how do we, before we can get into 
what these characteristics are, once we figure them out, how do we move from false wisdom to godly wisdom and embracing that wisdom that comes from him? Three very, very quick basic steps. Number one is this, quality time reading and processing the Bible. Come on, if you want to move from the application of false wisdom into the application of godly wisdom, you've got to know what that wisdom is. Yes? Now today we're looking at characteristics. We're not looking at the wisdom itself. So in order to find the wisdom, you've got to dive into our guidebook of life. You've got to learn to read it, to process. Well, pastor, I'm not much of a reader. Well, good for you. Here's the deal. You can listen to it and don't have to read it. If reading is a problem, there are apps out there that will read it to you. Or maybe you have a little ADHD in you and you need some attention help. I get that. (laughs) You can also let it read to you and you can read at the same time. Come on, that's going to get your attention where it needs to be. But dissect the Word of God and let it become alive and well inside of you. Number two, communicate with God through prayer. Spend time in prayer. Spend time talking to God. Well, pastor, I don't know how to pray. I'm not very good at praying. Here's the deal. All praying is is conversation. If you can talk, then you can pray. There's not a list of you got to use these words, you've got to use so many of these and so many thou's, and thou bestowest upon me. You don't have to use that kind of language. You simply say, Lord, here I am. I remember 15 years ago, the church that I was at before coming here, there was a young teenager, and I loved listening to her pray. Because every time she got ready to pray, here's what it sounded like. Hey, God, it's me again. Just wanted to talk to you today. And that's, she just talked to God like she does to us. And I loved that because she, she was just real with God. So don't ever feel like you've got to have some sort of big fancy prayer with a lot of um, Shakespearean type of terminology in it, but just talk to God and share your heart, but then be willing to listen to him. Come on. Prayer isn't a one-way conversation. Prayer is a two-way conversation. You share with God and God shares with you. Number three, walking in godly communion. If we want to move from personalizing worldly wisdom into embracing godly wisdom, then we've got to learn to walk in godly community. What do I mean by that? I mean that you've got to come to church regularly. You've got to make church a priority. I mean, we've come to a point in our culture, in our society, that we've made church an optional thing. I've even heard people say this, hey, I'll see you Sunday morning unless something else comes up. I've had people tell me that before. Pastor, I'll see you Sunday morning unless something else comes up. In other words, hey, you know what? I may get a better offer, so I'm not going to make a commitment to church. Can I just tell you, this is the best offer of the week? This is the best offer because what this does, this not only prepares you for here and now, for today and what you're going to experience this week, but this prepares you and your family for eternity. This is the greatest investment you could ever make. Just hanging out in the presence of God, hanging out with other church folk. Well, I don't want to go to church because there's hypocrites there. I've heard that one too. That's like saying, I don't want to go to the gym because there's fat people there. That doesn't make sense, does it? 
there's a reason why those of us that are full gospel people go to the gym. You know what I'm saying? Come on, spend time with re- regularly with godly community. Now, I shared a moment ago that we're going to rate ourselves. So I really want you to take that seriously this morning and rate yourself as we go through each one of these characteristics. Seven characteristics of true wisdom. Number one is this. It's a life that is meek. A life that is meek. The Bible tells me in James chapter 3, verse 13, who is wise and understanding among you, let him show by good conduct that his works are done in meekness of wisdom. That his works are done in meekness of wisdom. Now, there's a huge difference between meekness and weakness. Sometimes we get that confused and we think, well, they're the same thing, and that's not the case at all. Weakness is defined as the inability to accomplish. There's no strength in order to accomplish the task, but meekness has been defined as power under control. Oh, that's good. Power under control. Meekness is simply the right use of the power. And then we grab the wisdom, which is the right use of the knowledge. We put the right use of power and the right use of wisdom together, and that's how we begin to function in life. Let it all be done in meekness. The two of these must go together. See, a wise person will show in his life on a daily basis, both in word and in action, that they're a child of God. So I ask you today, what's guiding your steps? What are you allowing to steer you today? Are you finding yourself utilizing the power that you have in Christ in a correct manner? Are you power under control or power out of control? You see, when godly wisdom is put into action, the result is a life that is consumed with good conduct and godly response. So here's your opportunity to rate yourself. And I've personalized each question. Do I have power under control? For your life today, how would you rate yourself? One is, no, I don't have power at all. I am out of control. Ten is I have learned how to confine that power. I have learned how to put that together with godly wisdom and function on a regular basis. This scripture was all about me. Let him show by good conduct that his works are done in meekness of wisdom. That's me. I'm a ten. Where do you fall in that, one to ten? Would you rate yourself on your outline this morning? Then if we go back to our text today, James chapter 3, verse 17, we see this idea of godly wisdom begin begin to unpack and really come to light. And let me read it to you again. But the wisdom from above is, first of all, pure. It is also peace-loving, gentle at all times, and willing to yield to others. It is full of mercy and good deeds. It shows no favoritism and is always sincere. What I want to do for the next few moments is take these six characteristics that we see in this one scripture, and we're going to break that apart a little bit. So our second characteristic is this, 
a life that is uncompromised. What's that look like in your life? But the wisdom from above is, first of all, pure. James says right off of the bat, it's got to be pure. He's trying to relay to us the importance of purity or, or holiness in our lives. Now remember, the Bible says that as a follower of Christ, we are to be set apart. We're to be different than the world around us. Can I be honest with you? There are some things in life that I'll be in a conversation with somebody and something comes up and I'm like, you know what, I don't do that kind of thing. And they're like, really? Everybody does that. And I'm like, no, 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 they don't. No, they don't. Why? Because we're supposed to be different. We're supposed to be set apart. We're to be a representative for Jesus Christ in all that we say and all that we do. This idea of uh, uncompromised, it, it literally means that there's no contamination whatsoever. There's no defilement in our lives. Not in our church life, not in our individual life, not in our work life, not in our relationships, not in any aspect whatsoever. We're choosing to go all in. See, if I'm really uncompromised, if I'm truly wise and I've applied godly wisdom into my life, I'm not going to lie to you. I'm not going to cheat you. I'm not going to try to manipulate you in any way. I'm not going to be deceitful. I'm going to be an individual, a person of integrity. Because if I don't have honesty in my life, who's going to trust me? Come on, if I have discrepancies in my life, inconsistencies in my life, who's going to respect me? Probably nobody. So it's vital that we have the integrity, godly integrity in our lives. Proverbs chapter 10 says this, people with integrity walk safely, but those who follow crooked paths are exposed. How do you get off the crooked path? How do you stop following that, that pathway that winds and twists and turns? Well, the Bible says in Proverbs chapter 3, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Don't lean on your own understanding, but in all your ways acknowledge him, and he will do what? He will make your path straight. Come on, look at this. If you begin to apply the good news of Christ, if you begin to apply the godly wisdom in your life, you'll find yourself stopping or getting off of the crooked path and onto the path that he's made straight. Can I just tell you this crooked path is going to catch up with you? Look what the Bible says. You'll be exposed. The compromised areas of your life will be exposed. The unholy moments of your life will be exposed. If you want to have integrity, if you want to move forward, you'll set yourself on this path with God. There you'll find a new confidence You'll walk securely in your relationships. People with integrity walk 
safely. You're not trying to fool people. You're not trying to to mask something and get something by them. But you're going to be a person of your word, a person of truth, an uncompromised individual. Look at James says in James chapter 4. Come close to God and God will come close to you. Wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, for your loyalty is divided between God and the world. Come on, look at this. He says, you got to wash your hands of the junk. you got to purify your hearts. The only way off this crooked path is, is to come close to God. To dive into his presence. To stop living the compromise. Toy in between ungodly and godly and hoping somewhere in the middle you find something that works. Can I just tell you, the two of those aren't going to work together. It's like oil and water. It just doesn't mix. I wonder today, do you maintain integrity in your life? Come on, ask yourself that question. Do I maintain integrity? in my life? Are you a person of integrity? That everywhere you go, that's who you are. You don't try to mask one thing over here and create something else over here and be something else there and and resemble something here, but everywhere you go, you're consistent. There's no imperfections, impurities in your life. One, I'm not even close to that. Ten, everything about me is perfect. (laughs) Let's move on. Number three, a life that is peace-loving. A life that is peace-loving, but wisdom from above is also peace-loving. That's what the Bible says in James chapter 3, verse 17. We discovered last week that man's wisdom, worldly wisdom, false wisdom... It leads us to a life of self-ambition, rivalry, jealousy, boasting, deceit. The list goes on and on. But God's wisdom does just the opposite. It leads us to a relationship that is full of peace and love. Now, understand something. Each one of these characteristics as we go along today are going to build upon one another. If there's purity in your life, if there's purity in the church If the church is devoted to God, if you're devoted to God, there we're going to find peace. Why? Because we're living in harmony together. So what does it mean to be peace-loving? It's really not a phrase that we use a lot. It means that we're not argumentative. We don't go around looking for a fight. But you apply godly wisdom. You don't antagonize people to the point of anger. The Bible says avoiding a fight is a mark of honor, only fools insist on quarreling. Avoiding a fight is a mark of honor. There are going to be times in your life where self kicks in. And you want to just throw down. 
Come on, come on. Anybody? You guys are so righteous, aren't you? Okay, I got, I got five of you that are willing to throw down right now. Let's go. Now, there are going to be moments when the fleshly side of you goes, come on, we're going to go at this. I don't want it anymore. I don't want to deal with your attitude anymore. I'm done. Let's go. But can I just tell you that in that moment, that's when you have to step back and say, Lord, not me, but you. Lord, in this moment, I, I understand that I'm supposed to represent you and what's getting ready to happen is not you. So I need your help. Lord, I need you to step in more of you today than ever before. Right now, God, I need you. Lord, help me to represent you. Let your wisdom, let your guidance, let your strength, Lord, let your character, Lord, be present in, present in me right now. See, when we begin to do that, when we turn things over to God, he'll step in. He'll step in and he'll lead you and he'll help you in that moment. See, stirring issues is not applying the wisdom of God, but in contrary, it's stirring strife and resentment. It's causing quarrels in your personal life. It has the potential of causing quarrels within the body of Christ. And the Bible tells us that's a characteristic that God can't stomach. It's time to stop stirring trouble. It's time to begin to mirror the wisdom and the very nature of God. So here's your question. Do I pursue unity and peace? Do I pursue unity and peace? One, not at all. Ten, I'm doing my best. Number four, a life that is considerate. Verse 17, but wisdom from above is gentle at all times. Come on, look at that. At all times. There's a, a consistency in your life. The Bible says we should be gentle in our approach, being motivated by the love and the compassion of God. The word gentle here literally means to be considerate, to be mindful of the feelings of others. Now, a common mistake we make is this. Well, if you don't feel the way that I feel, then your feelings must be invalid. Your feelings must be illogical. Your feelings must be irrational. They're just wrong. But James says, if you're really going to apply godly wisdom, you're going to be considerate. You're not going to minimize the feelings of those around you. In fact, the Bible says in Proverbs chapter 15, gentle words are a tree of life. And Proverbs 18 tells us that the tongue has the power of life and of death. The choice is yours today of what you give out to the world around you. And James is very clear that if we're going to go all in, if we're going to have a desire to follow after God, that it's vitally important that we take the time to tame our tongue and to be considerate of those around us. Would you rate yourself 1 to 10? One, I'm not considerate at all. Their idea is stupid. Ten, I try to be as considerate as I possibly can. Characteristic number five, a life that yields to others. Verse 17, but the wisdom from above is willing to yield to others. I'm talking about the individual, the person that is open to reason. They're not defensive, they're not stubborn. They're willing to listen, they're willing 
to learn. Every one of us can still learn things, right? The Revised Standard Version says it this way. They're open to reason. The Living Bible says they allow discussion. The question is this. Are you a reasonable person? Come on, would somebody define you as being a reasonable person? Or would they say that you're the type of person that it's your way or the highway? The Bible says if you follow godly wisdom, you're going to be a reasonable person. A wise person doesn't antagonize, doesn't minimize, doesn't criticize someone's suggestions and is not defensive. Godly wisdom molds the believer into one that is easy to live with and easy to get along with. On the flip side, man's wisdom causes a person to be difficult and stubborn. Where are you in that, as you approach this idea of all in, would you say that you're easy to get along with, that you make room for others, or are you difficult and stubborn? Rate yourself one to ten. Take just a moment and do that. Number six, the sixth characteristic is this, a life of mercy and good deeds. If, if I truly want to personalize and embrace this idea of godly wisdom, then I'm going to be a person of mercy and good deeds. Again, verse 17, the wisdom from above is full of mercy and the fruits of good deeds. Now, here, here's the interesting thing about mercy. We all want it. But we don't necessarily want to give it right? We all want mercy. Man, when we mess up, we want people to pour mercy all over our direction. But when someone else messes up, how quick are we to give mercy back to them? Do you offer mercy to people or do you keep hounding them about their past mistakes? reminding them of what they used to be. Can I remind you that we're not defined by our past, but we're defined by what Jesus has done in our presence? We're defined by what Jesus has done in our lives? Proverbs 17 says it this way, love prospers when a fault is forgiven, but dwelling on it separates close friends. Godly wisdom, applying godly wisdom into your life It'll bring about an individual that is full of mercy and good deeds. It's kind in action. It's something that we do. We don't just show sympathy. We do something about it. We don't, don't just say, I'm sorry. There's something we do about it. So I wonder today in your life, do you offer mercy for the mistakes of others? When someone messes up, when someone does you wrong, do you offer forgiveness? Do you offer mercy? Do you offer grace? One to ten. And our final characteristic, and I know that today's message was a little different, but I really felt that we needed to pro process through these seven characteristics for us really to understand what it means to go all in. Because all in says, I'm going to do my best to personalize each one of these. Number seven, it's a life that is honest and authentic. A life that is honest and authentic. But the wisdom from above shows no favoritism and is always 
sincere. The original word here literally means without hypocrisy. You're the same wherever you go with whatever you do. You play no favorites. You don't act one way one day and another way a different day. Years ago in Greek theater, oftentimes there were two or three actors that would play an entire play and they would have many parts, maybe five or six parts for each one of the actors. And, and what they would do in that moment is they would have different masks. And when it got to that time for them to be this character, they would hold that mask in front of their face. When it was time to switch characters, they would switch the mask that they wore. The Greek word translated hypocrite literally means one who wears a mask or an actor. That's what we find with man's wisdom, inconsistency, insincerity, just playing a part. But what God has called us to today is a life of consistency with him. That what we say is what we do. That we model our life after Jesus. So would you rate yourself? Am I honest with who I am? One to ten. Are you honest with who you are? Or are you just playing a part? One mask at a time. If you were look, looked back this morning, how did you do? I'd encourage you at some point this week, sit down with this list and Maybe, maybe even sit down with God in this list and say, Lord, what needs a change in my life? I did really well here, but on this one, I, I didn't do so hot. What do I need to change? How do I apply your wisdom? And let God begin to speak into your life because I, I truly believe that if we're going to go all in, Every single one of us in the room today, every single one of us that are watching online today have some work that we need to do. Every one of us is a work in progress. I remember as a kid, one of the first songs that I sang in church was called, He's Still Working on Me. Some of you might remember the song, He's Still Working on Me to Make Me What I Ought to Be. It took him just a week to make the moon and the stars, the sun and the earth, and Jupiter and Mars. And I forgot the rest of the words. But it ends by saying, he's still working on me. It took him just a week to do all of this. But I'm a work in progress. And I realized that across this room today, every one of us is a work in progress. I had somebody tell me a couple weeks ago, they said, man, every time I come to church, I realize I have more work to do. I said, welcome to the party. Welcome to the party. But it's this daily surrender to God of saying, Lord, help me to be who you want me to be. Lord, help me to walk in your steps Help me to walk in your reflection. Help me to speak your words. 
mercy and grace. Help me to be consistent in all that I say and all that I do. And those moments that you mess up, and by the way, you're gonna, because we do. We're human. The Bible says every one of us sin, every one of us falls short. What do we do when we mess up? We get back up and say, God, here I am. Lord, help me. Forgive me. Strengthen me. Give me courage. Lord, I'm moving forward with you. And every time we step, we step more and more into the presence of God. Ephesians chapter 6 says, when you've done everything to stand, stand firm in the armor of God. Clothe yourself in who he is. Will you bow your heads with me today? Thank you for listening to the Encounter Church podcast. We pray that this message was a blessing and an encouragement to you.